All right, guys, how's it going? No, just <laughs> <laughs> nice, you nice already. Welcome to Overvolted. What is it? Twenty-five now. I am your host, Kirk Johnson. We have with us Noaman and hi. a IRL buddy of mine, Daniel Hudson. Say hi. Oh, there we go. You haven't met him before, so maybe we'll chat a little bit about us, who we are. Uh, we are the writers on AdoredTV.com, and we have some IRL buddies that we bring in, such as Daniel Hudson here, and bring on guests and whatnot into our podcast as well. So today we have quite the lineup. It's kind of been a slow news week, but not really here. We have, uh, starting us off, the 3060 that was actually released and went up for sale for, what was it, three seconds? Two seconds? And it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I saw a pretty good meme. It was a speedrunner that just went onto NVIDIA's website right before midnight it went midnight. He went refresh the page. It was gone. <laughs> yeah. So there are actually stories of people getting the 3060 before uh, some of the reviewers got them for reviewing. So that was, that was kind of strange. I'm like, how much of a premium must you be paying to get these? You know? Right. And you know that they probably are paying a little bit of a premium especially uh, the miners and all of that that are going to hopefully be making some profit off of this, even with the reduced yep. hash rate. But, yep, yep, yep. I mean, uh, what is it? Kaku and Kapow are both earning just shy of what ETHash is earning. So, really, right. uh, there isn't going to be any loss of mining demand for this 3060. It, it's just not going to happen. Those algorithms right. aren't being utilized right now because everyone's on ETH basically before ETH 2.0 lands in, what, almost a year from now? Right. By the way, Kirk, I, I wanted to ask, are you mining any Ethereum by any chance on your uh, extra PC? On my extra PC? Yep. Uh, you have a second one running, right? I have mine, my wife's PC, and right. I have a third rendering rig, and I've only got two of those three mining. Right. Are any of those Ethereum, though, or is it Bitcoin? Uh, most of it is Ethereum. They flip algorithms depending on which one is more lucrative, but pretty right. much no one mines Bitcoin directly unless if you're a large shop running asics right right so you you're part of an existing pool i i actually tried out easy hash it was a nice hash uh and i made a total of 22 dollars off it and i was like yes i'm a cryptocurrency investor and i haven't mined since so i was like huh i wonder i wonder how kirk's doing you know right well, I've got two 1080 Ti's that I bought during the last crypto craze at MSRP, and I've just been mining on and off with them. They pretty much paid for right. themselves during the first one. Now they're 
paying a little bit more for this one. Um, right. As far as the you know, nerf that they did on the 3060, it's supposed to be a three-way handshake, they said. So I'm thinking that uh, they're doing some magic sauce, probably using some kind of cryptography uh, to communicate between the drivers and the BIOS, you know, just to make sure that if it detects ETH, it's going to nerf the hash rate. Of course, right. whether that means that the existing programs might be able to find a way to not be recognized as ETH, or if it just means they have to mine Kapow or something, it, it's not going to be that big of a deal. <laughs> I really don't yeah. see it with the cryptographically signed BIOS that they'll be able to work around it too much because they're going to have to find some way to get the hardware to accept the software. I know that with ATI flash, you can flash an ATI board and then run a crack of sorts that gets your flashed BIOS to be recognized by the drivers as an actual real BIOS. And that one cracks right. the drivers to do so. And whether they'll have something like that for NVIDIA in any reasonable amount of time before ETH 2.0, that's yet to be determined. But like I yeah, said... Yeah, but then... My, like the tech community always finds a way around things because you know there's probably somewhere out there having a conversation that goes like this hey man can you can you get me like a unedited version of the bios you know to his friend at nvidia or to someone he knows and you know there's always something like that that happens so you know yeah. before you know it ethereum's gonna be back well and I as know. soon as they leak one of those unedited biases then they're going to have a problem on their hands because once it's out there, it's out there. They can't go and change hardware keys on no. the, the GPU, no. something like that. So all that they need is just an unedited signed BIOS just floating out there. And I would assume that the signing is going to be done by somebody that's going to attempt to verify that it's not nerfed, whether they care right. that much or not. And that's also... <laughs> part of another story too where does nvidia care that amount about nerfing mining or are they simply just hand waving for all of the gamers out there i mean so mining has a cause and effect thing right so yeah you have all these miners buying these graphic cards for a premium they're mining on them when they're done they sell it and the advantage is that when they sell these cards they can't sell it for msrp or you know even for for you know a good enough price you know they have to sell it at a huge loss and that's kind of where it benefits gamers and i i see that as a win because even though the card is mined on, you can still play games on it, right? Well, I mean, and... yeah, you lost you lost a few days or months on it, depending on mm -hmm. the usage, but you can you still get good value off it. Well, it depends on when they sell as well. When I had yep. my 1080 Ti's mining away during the last one, I actually sold a fair portion of my 1080 Ti's before the boom ended. I could see the writing on the wall, so I just started liquidating them 
and I lost maybe 50 bucks from MSRP because the demand like right now was still there. And so people mm -hmm. bought the cards off of me and I had receipts and things to show that they were barely four or five months old, right? Right. And so I really didn't lose anything from MSRP on those cards. And they mined during that time making five to eight bucks a piece. Right. Also, um, some comments in here referring to dedicating cards for miners, gamers. So yeah, it's basically the thing that um, Linus Tech Tips addressed. I don't know if you watched that video. Uh, basically, Linus went ahead and said, hey, look, uh, NVIDIA does not care. They only care about their bottom line. Uh, you know, they kind of positioned the the new CCM cards, was it? The mining specific cards as being good for gamers, but you know, it's it's actually not. It's just good for their bottom line. Right. And I mean, during the last boom, they made mining specific cards. These were chips that were the four gig, maybe even the eight gig versions that only had a DVI out on them that was it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I noticed uh like, i saw one or two of them in the market and i, I was have surprised three that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean but what really sucks about these mining specific cards is that once you're done mining or they're burned out like you know you can't do anything else with them you know they're just a paperweight well these, but at least these were actually a little different because they had the dvi out so mm -hmm. you could at least use them for a single output to a DVI-capable monitor. And so they were still useful, just in a limited fashion. Yeah, I mean, if, if I want to get my grandma who's upgrading her PC, uh, you know, something that, that works with DVI, that works well. But in, in, the, in the modern world, you know, everything is either USB-C, HDMI, or DisplayPort, you know? So yeah. it really doesn't make sense. And, you know, uh, that's where I kind of think that gamers might win in the end. You know, after this uh, two or three months of uh, mining craze is done is because, you know, there are going to be a lot of used cards hitting the market yep. that offer a very good value proposition. Like uh, the thing I mentioned to you earlier so what happened earlier uh, for our viewers is that I was on uh, a classified website in the region and uh, I noticed that a lot of mining rigs were up there. And uh, one of the guys basically said, hey, I will give you a 6900 XT for 1500 dirhams of pop. So for reference, that is... So basically for $408, he will give me a 6900 XT or a 6900, was it? I don't remember, but that's really good value. But his only condition was that I would have to buy like six of them. So I'm like, okay, if I check those out and they work, they're really good value for whoever buys them. Well, the thing, the thing we saw with the last one, all of the 570s, for instance, and the 480s, 580s, they all became 
sub hundred dollars. There was people selling them in lots of a ten for fifty a piece if you bought all ten, kind of thing. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I, we'll probably I, I see, see something similar this time. Mm-hmm. I think there is there is an opportunity for someone to profit there as well. You know, buy a hundred for fifty and then sell them for hundred each. Which is what the scalpers are kind of doing right now, <laughs> just on a yeah, larger but- scale. For sure. Uh, but, you know, when people see mining cards in the market, they're, they're a bit more reluctant to buy it because of this uh, preconceived notion that they're inferior cards or, you know, they're degraded they've or they're abused. off. Yeah, they've been abused, that sort of thing. And I think that that benefits a few people, you know, some of the tech savvy gamer community that we have. Right. Because yeah. I mean, running mine... My cards were in kind of a hot box. I naturally air conditioned them by just flowing outside air, whether it was 80 degrees outside, and that's Fahrenheit, people. (laughs) Or if it was even just 40 degrees outside, they would just hot box themselves. The temperature in my garage stayed about 75 Fahrenheit year-round until it hit summer, of course. I was melting right. candles in the summer. <laughs> uh, it was actually kind of nice during the winter because then we'd go in this garage, work on a car, and it was you know hot, warm, yeah, as compared to like you know thirty. I'd open my garage and have a storm front form. It was great, and the thing was, it, all these oh. cards that people are mining with, it, they're not bad. They undervolt them to, so that they can get the best power efficiency out of them. They slightly overclock the RAM since that's what ETH kind of likes. But as far as the GPU is concerned, it's not really messed with. They might flash the BIOS on them, the firmware, so they will have to flash it back before they sell it to you or else it's just not going to work well. So they'll probably take care of that. And that's if they bothered flashing it. Right. So um, let's uh, move on to the next topic. Uh, what do we have well, here? Did we want to talk performance of the 3060? I mean, yeah, yeah. Actually, I got the hash sure. rates pulled up right now, and it does dagger at about 24 mega hash, which is roughly what a 570 pulls with mild tuning. Like my banks of you know, 570s, they were pulling about... 26 to 28 and that's with right. a, a little adjustment to the bootstraps to where they would be stable enough i wouldn't have to reboot them three times a day and right. a lot of people that really pushed theirs to the edge and got really good cards or good timings and managed to hit 30 to 32 so this is worse than the 570 was way back in 2017 <laughs> As far as mining is concerned, which is kind of what they were hoping right. for, right? They nerfed it. Yeah, they yeah, didn't yeah. want it to perform. So it's doing its job. But if you look, uh, the other algorithms that are just around it are pretty much earning right around the same amount. Like this one's cuckoo cycle is at 5689 as opposed to 5728. So it's still going to mine ETH unless if it gets nerfed even more, but it's yeah. still, I think, Oh, here's one. Kapow yeah. is earning more. 
So this would probably mine Kapow on its own if it was just left to its own devices or Octopus, apparently. Wow, these these cryptos have some really weird names. Well, yeah, it's to help distinguish them. You know, I think I think they're like in the long term they're going to be like four or five major cryptocurrencies, and then there's just going to be the rest. It's sort of like you know this payment wallet thing that right. we have, where yeah, they're like a hundred wallets, but ultimately the only ones that matter are like Google Pay and Android. Uh, sorry, uh, Google Pay and Apple Pay are the only ones that matter because they work the best, you know, and they're mainstream. Yeah. All right. Uh, is the bald guy Jim? Uh, no, no, he's no. not. He is. He is. Uh, Hi, I'm Dan. I'm just. Yeah, he's. He's dragged Dan. along for the ride. They needed a third person, so. Yep. <laughs> we 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 have to blame have like. Guy. Yeah. Blame 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 the guy in the top right corner. We'll just do the whole Brady Bunch thing and just point at each other and. Yes. <laughs> Wait. Okay. So. One thing I really liked about the 3060's performance is that as having a look at some of the numbers and it's within 10 frames of the 3060 Ti. Yeah. So I was thinking, hey, if you got one of those OC models that you know you push a little bit more, give it a little bit more power, could you close the gap between a 3060 and a 3060 Ti in terms of gaming? I'd have to say it's a little bit harder on that, but it's somewhat close. However, mm-hmm. it's well, actually more comparable to a 2060 when it comes to rasterization. Uh, so, yep. or more, more specifically, a 2060 Super. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you're looking at that kind of level of upgrade, going for if you're happen like on a, on a 20 series, mm-hmm. that's not a good upgrade. If you're older, maybe. Now, if you're looking right. at RTX titles, um, what I've been seeing a lo- across several reviews is that it actually is more comparable um, as an upgrade. But it's it's a very odd uh, shift there. So it does right. well in RTX, but it's you know not that great when it comes to rasterization. Yeah, Tom. No, they I think... went and OC'd their thirty sixty that they got from EVGA, and it brought mm-hmm. it within just a hair of the twenty seventy super. But the thirty sixty Ti on their fourteen forty p stuff, of course, it actually. The 3060 Ti ends up being almost 15 frames faster still than the overclocked 3060. So I don't think they'll be able to really pull within that distance for the 3060 Ti. Uh But, I mean, they're they're not even beating the 2070 Super. They're getting just ahead of the 2060 Super. I think they found a pretty good niche spot to land in as far as that's concerned, but... I mean, with the pricing and the availability, it, this is kind of a moot point. It's not something we're going to be looking at for another six months. Right. Something else that also has to be noticed is the price. As the MSRP, the NVIDIA game for the, 20, or for the 3060 is 329 but the uh, EVGA 3060XC is the cheapest one currently uh, known at 389 Right. Hmm. So, it's not that great of a uh, an option. 
Oh, uh, interesting comment from the chat. For your grandma PC, who will use an iGPU? Yeah, I guess, uh, guess we will. Well, I've used the iGPU for grandma's PC since the beginning of time. I, she doesn't need yep. to use anything more than that for Facebook and whatnot. And that's if they can log into it. <laughs> the amount of grandmas that know how to effectively use a computer is vanishingly small, unfortunately. Yep. And I, I mean, have a feeling it's going to be that way when we get old, too, come to think of it. Hey, I gotta, I gotta ask. What do you think is gonna be the end thing when we're old? Because it, co- it can't be it VR can't be headsets. Twenty years. No, it's gonna be VR right. headsets for us old folks. We're gonna be in our lazy boy chairs in the gathering room or whatever of the assisted living house. There's gonna be fifty of us all just sitting there, plugged into our VR headset whatever form that may take. And we're all just going to be doing anything under the sun other than being present. <laughs> so in other words, you're, you're going to go with the uh, ready player one option. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think everyone. I think that's a pretty good example. Just without the yeah. suspension rig, all encompassing, whatever you call it. I don't know that they're, they're still trying for that. I've seen several devices so far. that are pushing in that direction. Can you imagine an old person frail hanging in a, a jumpsuit of some sort trying to <laughs> run across the battlefield. I think I think some of the tech that uh, Elon Musk and your link are building like would would really improve the AR experience. Imagine this: you're actually laying down on a bed, you're on a VR headset or a VR headset or a mixed reality headset, and you know you're moving in game without moving in real life. You know, and it feels like you're actually moving. Yep. How cool would more, that be? That's more the nerve gear that you find in Sword Art Online. Exactly. I think I think with some of the tech we have going, I think like maybe in fifty years or hundred years, we could see that happening. Well, if Apple had anything to do about it, they have the patent that they released, right? Yeah. So that moves on to our next uh, topic. Um, do Do you want to talk about? T- uh, the patent, or do you want to go in order of? Well, we can okay. talk about the patent. Right. So Apple actually patented uh, something in the mixed reality space. Uh, so basically, it's a patent for a mixed reality headset. And this is something that we've heard that Apple's been working on for a while now, because if, if you see all their keynotes and everything that they've said so far, it's been hinting at, uh, you know, a future where, hey, we're not using the phone anymore. We're using the headsets. Right. So I haven't had a extensive look at the, at the headset, but it's more of a mixed reality headset rather than just an augmented reality one, which makes sense because we see a lot of hybrid options coming into the market. You know, it can do AR, but it can do VR as well, which is called mixed reality. And uh, that's really interesting because we know that there have been a lot of headsets in the past. For example, Samsung's Gear VR, that was pushed pretty aggressively. If you remember um, the S7 days, they were pairing a free headset with it. And, you know, they, they pushed that headset for three generations. So the... 
sorry, since S6 days. So the S6, S7, S8, S9. So they supported it for four generations and they really pushed that headset. Fortunately, it didn't catch on pretty well. But, you know, when a company like Apple comes into the picture, like they they kind of really move that scheme. You know what I mean? Some of the uh, interesting tech that they have in their patent, though, like I don't see anything that makes it a mixed reality where they can see through the device. So they might have to do a camera mount on the front of it. But yeah, if you notice, they have this fluid adjusted um, adjustable lens, tunable lens, they call it. it. Right. That looks pretty interesting. Yeah. So, um, if uh have you used the htc not the htc which one was it um was the gear vr basically you could adjust the focal length of the you know of the device you know how far it is from you uh, depending on what suits you better and i think their their patent basically uses this uh fluid layer to do exactly that so that's very interesting because they found another way of doing it yeah, and it looks like they're using this with eye tracking. So where you're looking, it, they can adjust the foveated or something of that nature. Um, right, right. Basically, it's. I think it could be used to render stuff that you're looking at in a higher resolution. Uh, what was that AMD technology called that did that? Um, uh, basically, it would render the stuff that you're not focused on. Um, in a lower resolu- resolution, uh, and then showed off. Well, yeah, with, yeah, yeah. With the chill and whatnot, they do have the option of rendering the center portion of the screen at a higher resolution than the outer edges, because they know that you're going to be looking at the middle of the screen more than the top yep. left or top right corners, and so uh, they'll do it to save pixels. Yep, and and the problem that we've seen in these headsets is that hey you're rendering everything in one resolution and apart from that you're also rendering two cameras so that really helps with that issue you know you're sending less data to be rendered by your gpu so there's yeah there's there's a lot more performance to go around because of it right and uh yeah there's a very interesting They've got a lot of hardware hacks that have been trying to work around some of the limited uh, processing capability of our current GPUs because they, yeah, yeah, they want to sure. try to target these 90 frames per second and you know, real-time low variability between frames, all this stuff, because just messing with just a little bit of that throws people off. In You go into this uncanny valley or even this sick... Uh, delay mode it's right it's really tough for them yeah also um you know there are some other people in the space that are already established for example magic leap uh you know what, what was the term you used to describe them that was very interesting yeah they're pretty much a meme status now because of their yeah. little demo video some years ago of you know, people watching this well splash around in a open gym and it's like they cgi'd the whole thing and it wasn't actually anything that their augmented reality headset could even do yeah yeah basically over promise under deliver right 
Yeah. There, there was but, all sorts of fallout from that. I think garbage yeah, like that actually sets back the industry more than it helps. It does. It does. And, you know, there was a lot of political stuff that happened because of it too, but uh, let's not get into it. But what I found interesting was that, hey, it's running. So the Magic Leap is basically running on a Tegra processor. So it's basically the same GPU that's inside a Nintendo Switch or a NVIDIA Shield, you know, and they kind of made it work. So I'm just like wondering from a pure tech perspective, hey, Apple, Apple's number one in the mobile silicon space. So I wonder what they're doing, what what they're going to be doing in this space, you know, specifically because, hey, Magic Leap was able to do quite a bit with an off-the-shelf chip. So considering that AM, uh, sorry, Apple has the chops to kind of do something very specific for them, I wonder what they'll do, you know? Right. Like, it's, it's going to be very interesting some of the deck they come up with because when when Apple does stuff right it's 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 kind of like the uh, it's kind of gonna be like the uh, the rocket fuel this this market needs if you get what I mean well a lot of the things that we've seen in the mobile space it, Android tries to do it they have like three or four different implementations from the different manufacturers. Nobody yep, can yep. really settle on one that they like best. And then Apple comes along, does the exact same thing or slightly variant of it. And then everyone jumps on board. I mean, the, yeah. the fingerprint biometrics, for instance, yep. <laughs> now that it's that in the little Sapphire button and everything, everyone's using it. Yep. It was funny. So it was the 5S that came up with the with the Touch ID. And then a few Chinese uh, vendors had done it, but it was kind of all over the place. But then the second Apple does it, a year or two later, uh, it comes an official release of Android, and then it just works. It's like the second Apple does something, like the guys on Team Android kind of get their stuff together. Yeah, it, that's yeah, definitely... So the- all right, so there's really okay. So last thing about the Apple thing is that it's going to be priced in a very Apple way. Of course, anywhere it's Apple. <laughs> <laughs> three thousand to three thousand five hundred dollars, you know. And this is basically going to be uh, basically it's going to be like a developer kit that people are going to be getting, sort of like what Hololens was. But then we know what happened to the Hololens. It's like a B two B device, basically. But yeah, you know, let's let's see what the price uh, comes down to when it hits mainstream. It's going to be interesting just... to see how it actually turns out, what you can actually do with it once it's yep. actually out. Because that's yep. kind of what is going to make or break it. And mm-hmm. whether it's going to turn into the ultimate meme beyond what Apple's managed to pull off so far. Yeah, I mean, by the looks of the pattern, it's, it's going to be like you're going to be using an operating system inside the, inside the headset. Well, with the brick sort of like, base that they got, like look at the brick that is the keyboard and mouse. They probably okay. are thinking of putting the actual GPU and stuff in the keyboard base. Could be, could be, but you know, a pattern isn't like hundred percent sure. Maybe it's just outlining how they plan to do it. It could change. Of course, any thickness is just 
rendering stuff. Mm-hmm. It kind of makes it sound, at least from some of the stuff that I've seen here, is it almost makes you want to think that they want to use it for like a a, a virtual workspace. So instead exactly. of having like you know, for example, I've got a bank of monitors here. Instead of having that, you'd have your virtual space and nothing actually in front of you. So are you um, saying that you can just pay nine hundred ninety nine dollars for the headset rather than the monitor stand? <laughs> took a second yeah i noticed <laughs> yeah anyway no, no, see, this part would cost the three thousand the thing in front of you costs another five okay you know that's apple's way so yeah. the standard mac pro okay got it <laughs> yeah anyways um lenovo actually had an implementation of this that was really good i think i covered that headset on our on adoretv.com so check out the website uh search lenovo and it should be the only lenovo headset that's there if you want to read up more on that all right so next topic some good news amd decided they would tease to still a little bit of the thunder of the 3060 not like it needed much to beat it into the ground they teased the 6700 series to add to the 68 and 6900s. So they're going to have, I guess, a live stream of some sort on March 3rd at 11 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. So we'll see what that is and when it will be available. I doubt it's going to be available day of stream, but, you know, it probably won't be available the day they actually launch it either. So Yeah, I mean... Normal people like us won't be able to get it. But AMD, if you're listening, we would love to get one for review. Just saying. <laughs> sure, review. To see how well it does yes. on nice hash, right? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <laughs> no, well, we would do a normal review, of course, but we would include the hash rates. Just fair warning. Yep. All right. You know, I know well, something you're excited about is the uh, Samsung laptop, right? Yeah. So, uh, how do I say this? I've been waiting for this product to be made for the last, I don't know how many years. So, about a year back, was it a year back, I think, in, in early 2019, sorry, early 2020, uh, Samsung announced a partnership, a partnership with AMD where they would license some of their GPU tech, which is something we've covered on adoretv.com. And, you know, the fruits of that labor can finally be seen. So according to ZDNet Korea, um, Samsung is actually working on a Windows 10 laptop that has a AMD GPU inside it. So basically what, what Samsung is planning to do here is they're taking their ARM CPU cores that they license and you know some, maybe some of the AI tech that they have in there, and basically putting AMD GPU on it. And that's very interesting because of two reasons. First is that we saw leaks of of some benchmarks compared to some of the top of the line GPUs, and this unknown Exynos chip that came in the in the benchmarks was like fifty percent ahead of. The competition. So while it was at 160 frames per second, 
the other one was like 100, 120 frames per second. So that was very interesting. And and the second part that's interesting is that um, AMD actually had a mobile uh, a mobile GPU. So they actually made GPUs for ARM chips. They actually sold off that division to uh, the guys at Qualcomm for their Snapdragon processor. If if you've heard of the Adreno process, uh, GPU, Adreno is actually an anagram for Radeon. And uh, yeah, so this laptop is basically a combination of all of the stuff that's been happening over the last couple of years. You're, you're going to have 25 hours of battery life. You're going to have this really sleek laptop that you can see in the pictures. And, you know, it's Samsung, so it's going to be OLED. So if, if you're one of those business people that wants long battery life and, you know, you want to pay, play some 4K movies, you know, you want the best Netflix experience, this. And, you know, it's probably going to disappoint me. I know this because the, the CPU performance of ARM chips on on the Android side is just not comparable you know if if you compare to the m1 the m1 is the king of well with the m1 they're more focusing on desktop performance they design the chip around it with snapdragon and such they're still designing the chip around mobile and low power use off of battery so you're not yep. going to find a lot of the features that you would on a desktop oriented chip. So yeah. But I think I think there there is a case that can be made, you know, for you know, for ARM chips to kind of break the 3.2 gigahertz barrier for multi-threading cuz what I noticed was almost every ARM chip is one core one thread and you know, Windows is designed around multi-threading. So if we want a really good Windows experience, which is going to be like 99% of the people out there, we kind of need this, you know? Well, we need Windows to also optimize for ARM and hopefully pull something similar to what Apple did and provide some kind of translation for at least the the Windows applications that you get off of the Windows App Store and things like that. It's some kind of... For sure just-in-time compile or install compile where it re-architectures it for ARM. Yeah, I think the execution that Apple had in that space was really good. I mean, Microsoft is still struggling to put out a 64-bit like translation layer. So all of their windows on ARM apps are stuck on 32-bit. So let me actually look this up. 64-bit Windows on ARM. Microsoft announced that we can expect support for 64-bit emulation on ARM devices. And it will be baked into build 21 to 77. Uh, That's going to be a bit far off from now. So Windows on ARM came in in 2017, and we still don't have 64-bit. I think that's the main takeaway here. And just so everyone is aware, uh, 
Uh, I see some in the chat talking about the NVIDIA ARM deal. That is pretty much trying to be blocked by China and North Korea or South Korea. Um, obviously not England, but it is trying to be blocked in quite a few regions. And so it may not actually go through. That's actually a good thing in many ways because ARM is the backbone of almost every processor on the planet. And having the keys or having even the slight leg up on knowing what the competition is doing, like NVIDIA, NVIDIA isn't a bunch of, you know, they're, they're not, they're not, they're not the angels in the room, you know, they're smart people and they know how to use information. They would definitely exploit this, you know, in some way or the other. And that would have been really bad for the industry as a whole. It would have killed ARM altogether. You know, uh, like Huawei, MediaTek, uh, Qualcomm, Samsung, who else makes ARM chips? All of these guys would basically be, you know, they would be months behind if NVIDIA wanted behind anything that NVIDIA wanted to offer. So it would sort of be sort of like be like this. NVIDIA would have the best of the best designs in let's say Jan. And then they would have they wouldn't allow their partners to like implement the same thing for six months. And that would that stuff like that would have given him them a crazy leg up. Right. Plus the plus there's some crazy stuff happening in China. I With think the, uh, the everyone's... V? No, no, no. Uh, there's some political stuff happening. Basically, uh, Arm China is a joint partnership between a Chinese company and Arm. Yeah. And the board of the company voted out the CEO. But the CEO is refusing to leave. And because he has this thing called a stamp, a company stamp, basically, he has control over it. He basically has control over everything in the company and he's just not leaving. <laughs> so that's that's probably another reason China China doesn't want the arm to be sold, you know. Right. Because they have access to all this technology. And you know, if anything Trump said was right, who knows what they could do with it. We will find out as the news comes out on that. Uh, hopefully, yep. the uh, the China part of ARM comes back into the fold. <laughs> but hopefully, with but, how business uh, the, is done there, eh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, but in the meantime, uh, if this laptop comes out, it's slated to come out in Q three, Q four of this year. If it does and it lives up to the hype, I think this will be one of the best products Samsung has put out all year round. It will be very interesting to see. For sure. I mean, I am a hardcore Apple person. Like, I don't show it on here, but oh, really? this has me excited. I, I try. I try. But... You know, this is the first Samsung product since the Gear VR and the display I sent you the other day that really has me excited. Right. You know, 
So let's All right. move on to our next topic. I just was going to plug the article for the video that we released. Um, it was building a media server using Plex and ZFS on Linux. I mean, I think the video came out pretty well. It was pretty well received. It's starting to get into the circles of people that use this stuff on a daily basis. And so have been making some great contributing comments. So read through some of the comments. They're not all toxic as some people claim YouTube has. And we tend to get some pretty decent comments on our videos. So it's always worth checking out. So just wanted to point out that we do have the article. It has resources at the bottom. It kind of walks through some of what we did in the video with some more expose. And so you can see some of the thought process behind the choices, some of the alternate considerations such as Unraid or BTRFS. So just go check that out. Also has some of the scripts that I used in the video. Yeah, DX Helio says, I saw videos, but it was painful to see legacy disks. No offense. Well, spinning Rust isn't necessarily a legacy disk when you can get a 8 terabyte drive for under $180. I mean, you try to do that with Flash, you're not going to see 8 terabytes of Flash for under $180. And it's just not economical. I mean, you can get 18 terabyte flash drives today if you want, but they're $5,000. All of the storage right. in this thing, giving us 64 terabytes usable storage after formatting. And we're still under that 5,000 mark. I think the yeah. total system build was significantly under five i think it was like 2200 or something i'd have to do the math on it i wasn't mm -hmm. the one that paid for it so i can't tell you how much it ended up being you know i actually watched the video and i noticed something interesting in the background there was a world of warcraft poster you want to tell us more about that by any chance <laughs> well the video the poster you're referring to here let me there we go we have the Cataclysm poster that was handed out when you showed up in person for midnight release of Cataclysm. And right. My wife and I both went to go get it. So there it is. It's on my wall. I still have it. It's in relatively good condition. The kids haven't ruined it yet. So that's good. Now, the, the one thing that I was hoping somebody would catch was the little guy hiding behind the EVGA box. You can't really see it too well, but I do have him uh, show up. Oh, the other thing that people were asking about was the T-shirt. <laughs> Apparently, a lot of people liked it. Yeah, this is a yeah, T-turtle shirt. They do some pretty good stuff. And this one's like, I woke up like this, and it has a wolf holding a coffee mug. Yep. But oh for, yeah, they, have, they actually have they have a really good stuff on here. But for the uh, statue, I'm not sure if anyone saw it, but yeah, look at that. Just put some gears on it and call it steampunk, right? <laughs> Wait, what statue? I didn't notice anything in the background. I have it on my uh, 
screen here. You'll see it in a second. Ah, oh, yeah, this one, the the wolf. Yeah. Yeah, I actually did notice that one. That one's pretty nice. A lot of the uh, made in China statues and stuff are starting to come out with some of that as a variant now. Yes, cutting right. edge fashion. That's exactly what we're here for. So <laughs> I figured this would be a fun project that you guys would enjoy seeing just building some kind of use case system, not just for fun or to see if we can hook up a car radiator to it or anything, but yeah. an actual system that you would use in your home. If you guys are already ready, running Plex off of three or four hard drives and feel that you don't have enough space, this is something you could do to make your file system more resilient, use it as a NAS to store backup data, that kind of stuff too, in addition to hosting your video content for yourself or others. So yeah, yeah, plus plus it was like the first video that's like a standalone video that anyone's uploaded since uh Jim departed from the channel, right? Right. And so we gotta keep the channel alive and provide good content. Uh, you'll see if you look in the history Jim also did build videos and stuff before he did analysis videos. So it is in line yeah. with the channel. Yeah. Also, if you guys want to see more analysis channels or you want to know, you know, you want to make suggestions to us, like, you know, we have a discord. You can always just join that join us. A, it's, it's sort of like a reward for supporting us on Patreon. So, you know, check out the, the discord channel yeah we have questions in there as well if you guys want to ask any of our uh, guests or whatever uh, any of the questions that you might have uh, oh <laughs> what there's a question from Harshal here what are the chances amd restarts the radeon 7 production and i think i saw some rumor about them restarting some vegas stuff it, but I don't know if it's the Radeon 7 specifically. HBM would make that a little bit more expensive, but with the current MSRPs, they might be able to afford it now. I don't know. Interestingly enough, I was having a chat with one of our Patreons, uh, and they mentioned, hey, how difficult would it be to you know, bring one of the older cards to 7NM or 14NM? And, you know, just get the ball rolling with that. And I was like, hey, this is an interesting idea. But to restart a older fab would take anywhere from six months to a year. So you wouldn't see those cards for at least one and a half to two years. So I think uh, that kind of answers that question, right? right. Of uh, how long will it take to bring back old cards. Well, definitely. Yeah, we've seen a lot of old cards come back from the dead, and I don't expect it is over yet until the crypto craze finishes. We know that no, I, I think... NVIDIA has already started uh, reproducing uh, some older models, and we've seen, like, for yep. uh, just, you know, this is a, another example, um, slightly out of line, but, um, like, AMD... 
uh, reproduced one of their 1000 series CPUs on a smaller node just to put them out because it was that popular. Yeah, yeah. So I think this was the AF series, if yes. I'm correct. Yeah, and I think they didn't do an AF series after the 1000 series at all. They basically started doing the XT thing. So I think that was with the 3000 series where we had the 3800 XT, 3600 XT and all that. So I think that was really interesting because you're making those small changes, but they make such a huge difference because the AF and the XTs, their main advantage was, hey, look, it's not a new chip, but it's a little bit faster. And the benefit in the AF series was they're, they're more affordable, you know? And the XT was, hey, for almost the same price, we're giving you way better performance. So I really like the value proposition Team Red had in that case. Yeah, we've seen uh, Linux drivers and stuff provide a lot of really good performance for a lot of these GPUs. And I'm kind of sad that the Windows drivers don't really provide as huge or substantial of improvements like these other ones do. But, you know, it is the difference between a dedicated driver team and uh, the hive mind that is open source. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, maybe they have reasons for you know, the path they chose in their drivers. I don't know. Right. And uh, since we're on the topic of gaming, do you want to move over to the next topic? Yeah. Uh, last weekend when we did the podcast, uh, we were vying for time with BlizzCon. And so I wasn't sure how good of a turnout we would have because uh, I wanted to watch the BlizzCon stuff too because I've been playing Blizzard games for a long time now. And right now it's pretty much more Diablo. That's still a pretty fun hack and slash game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm the one that likes to collect all the things. So my bags in WoW are completely full. My stash in Diablo couldn't... I wish I had more stash tabs, even though I got the max quantity you can get right now. <laughs> Just right. a lot of fun there. Uh, Dan, you've been kind of following the BlizzCon stuff, especially when it comes to Shadowlands and their new... Yeah, what uh, they're actually doing. What is it, 7.1 patch or... 9.1. Or 9.0.1, yeah. 9.0.1, whatever. <laughs> they only announced one patch. Do you um, want to tell us kind of what they're doing in the new expansion patch just a little bit, and we can talk so, a little bit about Diablo 2? Yeah, so the things, the only thing, they basically hit on four things at BlizzCon line, and that's it. You had Shadowlands, Chains of, Reden of Dominion, uh, sorry, Domination, um, which uh, they threw out a in-engine uh, uh, cinematic to go along with it. We get a new area in the Maw. We're going to get a new raid. Um, and that's about all they really gave us. So 
we know a little bit about it. We have a new Mega Dungeon coming. So if anyone um, played WoW and you've done like, uh, uh, my brain doesn't want to stop or something. <laughs> if you want to do um, raids, um, there's we've had like Mega Dungeons in the past. Right. Um, we had one in the last expansion. They will have another one of those. This one's based on the. Um, We're talking Torghast? Not Torghast. That's the. Is that where the raid is going? Oh, maybe that's where the raid um, is going. Yeah, it is actually. The Sanctum of Domination is apparently connected to Torghast. Um, we know that we're going to end up dealing with uh, Kel'Thuzad again. <laughs> um, we'll end up dealing with Sylvanas. And it looked like she was going to get kind of a redemption arc in this one. You could see from the trailer that they did, she had that little regret emotion in her face. And so we might see yeah. her come back. We'll see what's going to happen on that. Everyone's getting tired of her at this point. <laughs> from what I've been seeing. It's like, stop being a dick and just get back to the thing, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's either... She's like going right down the middle between, I don't like it, but I have to do it. Yeah, because the ends justify like, the means or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, man, the ends ends never justify the means if it's if it's the crazy stuff we see in WoW, you know? Like, yeah. I'll admit, I, I loved playing wow i've played wow for maybe i would say a couple of hundred hours right i love the game but i just couldn't stay in it because i grew up with star wars so i'm more of a whole <laughs> republic guy oh. you know i i still log in once a year to see like what the state of the game is and there's a lot of people playing it Yep, and uh, I think I think MMOs, MMORPGs, really have that special place in everyone's heart, you know. Especially ones that are still alive. We have seen yeah, it's, many a good ones go away. Like, did you get to play WildStar at all? Since you're kind no, of no. oh, that was fun. WildStar was actually a pretty good MMO. They were just too green, not as well polished as uh, like WoW and such. And so right. they eventually died. It was sad. They had some good potential. But from in the games industry, there's a saying: you can't you can't kill the king in this case, which is World of Warcraft. You know, <laughs> even when even when Blizzard tried themselves to make a competitor for WoW, they couldn't. That's how good the game was. Well, okay. when it comes to World of Warcraft and how it was set. Up. If you actually go back to the very beginning, I mean, back when it was first announced, right? So we're talking, you know, like 2001 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, I used to have a long-standing subscription to the physical print of PC Gamer, right. and one of the art, one piece in there actually said, "World of Warcraft is basically giving Blizzard a license to print money." Yeah, but that, that is was, what it is. Yeah, but that was before we even knew what we were actually fully going to have, just based off of the concept of having an MMORPG in the Warcraft universe. So, and here we are, you know, closing on 20 years later, and it's still going strong. And it is. And printing money ever since. <laughs> and even beyond, you know, 
what we're getting with the the upcoming patch, the new raid, the new mega dungeon, um, with the brokers, we got uh, some new changes to our covenants, Torghast, uh, the Maw. Um, right. We're also they also announced at the same time that we're going to be getting um, officially uh, the Burning Crusade for Classic. Yep. So those people who really like to play in Classic can either now have their choice of either just you know forever staying in classic vanilla or they can have their character progress and go into burning crusade and of course in classic style everyone complained of one thing and that is that it's an all or nothing (laughs) choice you can't have one character that goes on into burning crusade while keeping another one that stays in classic so there's that downside there there was a second side to that and that comes in the form of a microtransaction of course ah Yes. Yeah. They Everyone's also announced, topic. Yeah, they also announced that they're going to make it so if you want to copy your character to go both places, you could for a price. I I wonder whose idea was that, you know, with mergers you get a lot of business people and I man, I wonder who it was. Yeah, I mean, it can't possibly be Activision. <laughs> no, they're I mean, they're kind of benevolent, aren't they? Yeah, but you know, MBAs are going to be MBAs. Of course, just let us gamers do what we want, and that is everything, right? Yep. Um, one other bit of news that came out of BlizzCon that I was excited about: Diablo Two Resurrected. I mean, we were they did talk a little bit about Diablo 4 and the rogue class that's based on the assassin from Diablo 2 and then we got to well, go more back than that and, actually well it goes all the way back doesn't it clear back so, to Diablo 1 yeah just to touch on that briefly uh the rogue class how you described it is basically taking like the concept of the rogue from Diablo 1 the rogue companion that you had in Diablo 2 yep. the assassin class Mm-hmm. And the Amazon, and basically take right. pieces of all of those and kind of mash them together. There's a lot that they actually show it off for what you could do in that class. We have a question: As somebody unfamiliar with MMOs, which is more of a license to print money, WoW or Eve? And I think it's WoW. No, I think it's what I just entered in the text box below. In... No, Eve Online. Trust me on that one. Eve Online okay. is the license to print. You're money? you're telling me that Eve Online makes more money than Star Citizen. I'd have to no oh, against Star Citizen. No, never mind. Yeah, yeah. When they're selling exactly. ship skins for four hundred dollars and people are buying them. Yeah, I, hey, I think I'm Star Citizen. Waiting. I'm just waiting. It's good. I'm just waiting for the game to come out, man. You know, finally be released. Well, yeah. there's a lot of things I really like about Star Citizen, like just the planetary approach and actually being right. able to go from orbit to planetary. Now, mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of a quality of life thing where you don't have to be in orbit around the planet and then you make a descent stage and all that kind of stuff. Right. But, you know, when you're going sci-fi, you might as well be able to just fly straight into the planet without having your shields burn up and things. So, yeah, sure. We don't need to skip off the atmosphere or anything. Nah, I think I, I think I really liked um, No Man's Sky in this regard, 
they overpromised and underdelivered, but they made up for it over time. And it's actually a very good game right now. Yeah, I you actually know, bought a copy of it. it after they made the changes, mind you. That way the developers yeah. could see my support of the game that it's become. I didn't buy it on launch day. I really don't suggest that you buy or pre-order games, even though I do once in a great while, just to show support. Yeah, I mean, the industry... Uh, the industry's just all over the place. There's also that Assassin's Creed thing, you know, um, where they added microtransactions, like, six months after review. Mm-hmm. And I know people at Ubisoft, you know, and some of the devs and the PR folks I know, they wouldn't do that. I think, end of the day, it's one of those business decisions, you know? Yeah. And same thing with Activision Blizzard, you know? Yeah, we don't like microtransactions, but it's kind of like, yeah, they need to make money. They're a business at the end of the day, you know? Well, there are some microtransactions that I do kind of approve of, like when they Mm -hmm. added the Necromancer to Diablo 3. They Uh microtransactioned that for, what was it, $5? You could get the Necro character, but then you also got... or something like that. Yeah. It it was either 5 or 10. I I don't think it was as high as 12. But in addition to getting the Necro and all the class stuff that that comes with, it gave you an extra stash tab. You remember what I said about hoarding? They gave you an extra stash tab along with it, which is something that a lot of games microtransaction anyway, but they threw this in when they didn't have to. They didn't have to give you an extra stash tab, but they did. Yep. And it was there kind of this, appreciated for that. Yeah, there's there's always stuff like that, that small stuff that really makes you appreciate stuff like that. There was this MMORPG I played back in high school. This was like six years back, right? Um, well, their entire dated. business. Huh? I'm sorry. I said, don't I feel dated? <laughs> Back in high school, yeah. six years ago. <laughs> yeah. So Back in high we school. played this. Yes, yes, I get it. <laughs> you guys, you guys are way older than me. Yes, I get it. But uh, there is this really good MMORPG that had this very interesting business model where they asked you to buy in-game items to support them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know they went on for two or three years without any formal investment. You know they just started off on their own. They bootstrapped themselves. They did really well. And you know, and then people moved on, and the game kind of died. But you know, that game wasn't a commercial hit. But I'm still gonna remember them for the good they did. You know, and they're always gonna have that place in my heart. And Games like WoW and Diablo, these these are those kind of games, you know? Or they were. They might be for some people still, but yeah. Well, a lot of their community actually grew up on them and now they're adults playing these games. And something yeah. that Blizzard's going to do is bring back Diablo 2. They're remastering it and mm-hmm. calling it Resurrected. Um, we wrote an article about that on our site what, almost a year ago now, basically citing that, yeah, it's most likely going to be called Resurrected. And sure enough. So this has been leaked for a long time. 
and we yeah, we've heard about see... it. We've heard rumor, and we've heard uh, some leaks ourselves. And now we can finally see what they're doing with it. And we've heard, you know, which we've been always be curious as to exactly which way they're going to go. And we've been hopeful as to what they're going to pull off. And fortunately, it's not going to be the Warcraft 3 Reforged route. Yeah, you'll still be able to keep the old version of Diablo 2 and you can play the old version or you can play the resurrected version on the Battle.net launcher. And it looks like they're going to keep it pretty true to form. A lot of the assets that they had to use were, what, little dangly things from buildings and stuff that were a whole of four pixels. You couldn't really tell what they were, but now you'll have high def, 1080p or better, and you'll be able to see what those little pixels were supposed to be. Yeah, one of the examples they showed off uh, during BlizzCon Online was... In Act 2, there is a tavern, and if you were to go into the tavern, you'll see, like, uh, an NPC sitting behind a table, and there's, like, a row of things dangling right in front of them, and one of them happened to be uh, garlics that only looked like four pixels in the original game. And now you can actually look at it and see, yeah, it's actually garlic. Yeah. So, I... They had to go back to some of their concept drawings, a lot of that kind of stuff that was in their archives to really see what this stuff was supposed to be in order to maintain true to form. Because once it got rendered and put into the game itself, the pixels were so, so poor that they couldn't even tell what it was. But we'll have a pretty good rendition now. And it'll be really good. I'm surprised that they... It only had the technical demo ready or mm-hmm. uh, the technical beta they call it i well they did have they the team shifts so that might have had a hand in why yeah mm-hmm. i mean it, if they had done blizzcon back in november they would have announced this and had the technical demo then too so the extra months and they have nothing to show for it maybe it just gave them more time to do spit and polish i don't know Right. You and know, to the comment there, uh, no, th- like I said a moment ago, um, this is not going to be another Warcraft 3. They are making this 100% separate of the original Diablo 2. So everything that was is Diablo 2 as it is now will remain in place as it is, which includes uh, everything how it works, including its entire modding situ- uh, scenario, um, etc. It's, it's going to be off in its own little world. Yeah, and as TR points out here, it, technical demos and things like that do take away from development time because they have to do this limited playthrough thing and find some way to not allow you to play the whole game. <laughs> so I do understand that it does take time from developing, sadly. It, I wish they would have just launched the game in its entirety, day one kind of thing. I wouldn't doubt that they're very close to that. Maybe they just wanted to make sure they had some extra fidelity in certain places. I don't know. I really wish that they would have done a little bit of addition, like make a Diablo 2 Plus kind of thing where you can have your classic mode and then you can enable like a, a an improved version where you get some of the Diablo 3 features like bounties and... Uh, 
you know, torment levels, you know, some of the greater rifts and things like that. Because a lot of those things are the things that they did right. They added to the original Diablo 2 feel and made it more replayable. The original Diablo 2 isn't that replayable, sadly. You know, the thing they did do is they did, you know, add enough that it makes it at least worthwhile to pay attention to. So you've got the full, you know, graphics engine upgrade, even though it's still based on the original game code and how it operates. Mm -hmm. Uh, Better sound. You've got, you know, quality of life improvements such as auto gold pickup, which is something Diablo 3 introduced. Um, We got, they redid all of the cutscenes, so they're now, you know, up to current par. Um, It's got uh, better accessibility features, and they've also, um, one thing that I know that uh, Kirk and I will be uh, at least interested in is the shared stashes. Uh, They modified the stash system in Diablo 2 from this tiny little thing you can only store a little butt to something you can actually almost use. And I'm not sure how right. exactly that's going to be fully implemented, which will be interesting to see once it's released. But it should help with the... Because this is something they actually touched on quite directly, was mule characters. I had mule characters oh, that I would God. actually copy and move out because you could only have so many characters. So I would copy them out of the saves folder as a archive of sorts. And then I was just collecting all of the legendary, whatever orange items. Uh, you know, have you guys played star Wars, the old Republic by any chance? Yes. Uh, the, sorry, uh, Knights of the old Republic, the really old nineties game. Kotor. Yeah. There's actually rumors of that coming back. Like a remake. Yeah, I, I did that. see that rumor. That I I wouldn't put it past it, especially with how popular Star Wars MMOs are at the moment. Right, right. Also, um, if you've noticed something generally in the game industry, but there's a consolidation happening where Tencent is grabbing up companies, Nintendo, Sony, all these guys, they're grabbing up studios and companies and make games like crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. they're buying up a lot of oh, the IP exactly so you know it, it makes me wonder what, what the game scene will look like in 10 years, 20 years down the line I mean you guys probably have a better perspective you know having been played games way longer than me <laughs> well, what do you guys think well I think uh, one thing that is intriguing, at least for the Star Wars community, is that they'll have Disney money behind them if Disney wants to shovel some money into that. Yeah, I'm all for it as long as it doesn't come with any political strings attached, if you know what I mean. Well, the thing we have seen from other games, we'll say, no matter how much upfront money you put into it, they can still make a bad game. Yeah, they can, they can. And then you can look at other games that they don't have a whole lot of money fed into it up front, but they make a good game. Exactly. Uh, Indie games are a really good example of that. Like, uh, oh yeah, Super Meat Boy, Fez, um, Binding of Isaac. Mm -hmm. You know, these are all really 
budget games that made it big. Well, look at things like uh, Factorio or, um, you know, what, uh, what's the other factory one? Uh, Satisfactory. You got those. Factorio, Satisfactory, those are, you know, small indie games. You have um, Project like Dyson Fortress Craft Spear. Evolved. That one's actually looking yeah. really good. Yeah, Fortress okay. Craft. For context, um, I'm having a look at KOTOR's reviews right now. You have eight, almost 19,000 po- very positive reviews. So I think that says a lot about bringing old games back from the dead, you know? Yeah. The one thing that they have to do, though, is find a way to revitalize it, not just remake the game. It, right. Like I was saying with Diablo 2. I mean, Diablo 2 was great, yes, but a cut and paste of the original game isn't necessarily a good thing. There's a lot of quality but, of life things that will be missing, a lot of things that will uh, kind of hold it back for replayability, yep. and people will stop playing it for the same reason that they did back then. It, I think adding spice to a game really matters. Um, have you heard of this guy? Um, one second, let me look him up. That was a big game designer back in the day. Have you heard of Chris Taylor? <laughs> go ahead dan yes i play total annihilation i know about cave dog and everything went from there okay so he lived it supreme yeah so supreme i've played supreme commander i've bought like 20 copies of forged lions so far over its lifetime <laughs> And I had a look at the original game and I had to look at the remake and I was like, hey, by 2008 standards, this is really good stuff, you know? And the game's played to this day. So I, I really see a lot of potential in that kind of IP coming back from the dead, you know? Even well, if it's Command got, and Conquer or something. Yeah, they got the Red Alert remaster, don't they, Dan? Yeah, they have uh, the remastered CNC 1 and Red Alert along with all of its bits. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah basically just upscaled it a little bit and mm-hmm. made it playable I, on modern hardware. I've yeah, I should, I actually I actually played it. Uh, I played a demo of it, I believe. And compared to the old videos that, you know, you kind of had to, like, it was actually on a smaller, it was rendered on a smaller resolution. So me having a 2K screen, I actually had to, like, man, it was just painful, you know? So... <laughs> So well, looking at the new one was way better. Yeah, well, the thing is, the game was made like in 640 by 480 or 800 by 600, you know, 4 by 3 way back in the day. Yeah. And that's all really all that was available at the time. And, and so they had to really bring it up. But at the same time, they, uh, one of the things that made that one actually work is that throughout the entire development process of the remaster, the team that was doing that was working with the community. I mean, there right. was constant communication with the community right. uh, to see, you know, how they wanted to do things, um, including the outcome of the uh, FMVs in the game. Um, mm-hmm. How they look now is also uh, with assistance from the community. Right. I would really like to see uh, General Zero Hour make a comeback because that was kind of. I've seen that one come up a lot. <laughs> yeah, because that was actually very realistic. 
I grew I grew up playing these games, and you know I'm I'm 23 right now, and I played this when I was 12, 13. You know, I would love to see these games remade, and I would buy them for sure. For me, Command and Conquer and uh, Red Alert were my uh, original introduction to RTS. Right. So I'm guessing you played a lot of Supreme Commander. I did when that came out. Yep. Yeah. I played a lot of Supreme Commander. Yeah, the community is actually still around. Like, uh, there's this thing called Forge Alliance Forever, and they're keeping it yeah, alive. Yeah, that's the yeah Forge Alliance is the uh, expansion, not DLC. expansion. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. a DLC. It's actually it's a, its own separate game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's kind of it's technically an expansion, but at the same time, it's standalone. Exactly. I was really impressed by some of the stuff they did from a 2008 perspective in terms of technology. And for you, for you tech geeks out there, Supreme Commander was actually one of the first multi-threaded games for the new Intel processors. If you don't know that, gotta love the gaming driving innovation. I mean, yeah. When yeah. Back in those days, games really tried to push the envelope as far as system is concerned. It, right. Nowadays, we're looking at ports from consoles, and so these games don't even have much of an impact on our systems. It takes something like Star Citizen to come along that is as bold and forward-thinking to, to design a game that as hardware expands, they just do more and are able to do more. Yeah. And I think that brings us in to our last topic for the day is a blast from your past kind of dying out, right? Yeah. It fries electronics. We have the official death knell. There was a rumor that was floating around the day before they closed that they're like they're gone. They're, when they close their doors tonight, they're not going to be reopening. And sure enough, they updated their website to say farewell. And we kind of saw this coming, honestly, because if we yeah. look back in 2019, they were already running with just a few products on the shelves. Most of their aisles were bare. But when you have something as big as a warehouse like Costco size trying to fill it with computer equipment. That's a really expensive proposition for something that can slide downward in value over the course of nine months. Yeah. Uh, inventory depreciating. It's an issue in the tech space. Um, uh, and it's, 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 it's difficult. But what I read about was that um, a lot of the creditors' goodwill went down the toilet hole in 2020, and that was kind of like the nail in the coffin, like the final nail. Well, they did have the supply issue when they had to change yeah, they, suppliers. Back in uh, late 2019, early 2020, they had uh, issues with supplier. And mm -hmm. where they originally were going through... Um, something happened they lost their supplier um and that's where we started seeing problems and if you actually were to go on to youtube um i've seen a couple of channels i follow uh, uh one that i actually watched a video of was bitwit 
where he actually went into a Fry's Electronics near him, and the place was half empty, um, if that. And apparently they'd take, and he'd been told that um, you know, a lot of stock had also been shifted to Las Vegas uh, for CES. So that at least the fries there looked like it had stock. And so back then, that was basically a case of the beginning of the end. Right. And, I mean, we've seen this happen before with Comp USA, Radio Shack, and some of these other, uh, we'll call them loved stores. I mean, there is something nice about being able to go into a store and pick up your new graphics card the day it launches or... Yeah, being able to just go and pick parts off of the shelf and not have to wait a few days for them to get shipped to you to put together your new PC. Right. Um, nowadays, we kind of get that anticipation build up for the Amazon truck to come rolling around or uh, the UPS truck or whatever to drop off the parts that you ordered three days ago. And maybe the, the enticement of it wore off by then. Maybe there's some buyer's remorse where you cancel the order. It, being able to just walk out of the store with the card makes you a little bit more loose with your pocketbook, unfortunately, but it gives you that instant gratification as well. So it it is the end of an era. We still have Micro Center, which I hope sticks around. And then, of course, we have Best Buy that's been kind of the one that's come out on top of the pile as far as in-store hardware that kind of stuff but when you look at them right. even they're still going to be limited versus what you find on Newegg or amazon so online is still going to be the better option for the variety of cards that you can buy obviously not right now yeah <laughs> not right now you know i worked in the e-commerce space and we see a lot of we saw we saw a lot of suppliers uh even before 2020 just either go out of business or say hey we can't afford to give you stuff on credit so so we've we've seen the the writing in the sand for a while now and having been part of e-commerce i think it's either you embrace going online and uh, you know you cut down on these large-scale stores or you won't survive yeah and I mean, when you have a physical store, you can't have bots buying your stuff. And so it is still a very good option to get a new GPU nowadays or the new CPUs. It is, it is. You still have to wait in line and do that forward investment of time there, but it's still a pretty good option. Um, it as- is, it is. Honestly, though, um, in my region, the Middle East... Oh my god, it's 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 expensive buying equipment already. The pandemic, the pent up demand, call it whatever, just made it worse. Like like unless you're buying a pre-built from an OEM like Asus or Dell or HP, like you're you're gonna be paying a premium like crazy on everything. Like uh uh, for context, um, an AMD processor usually goes for about a hundred dollar premium in the region, at least. 
so it's it's worse off here. I mean, at least in the U.S., you're a big market, you know. So it's not as bad, but other parts of the world, it's terrible. Yeah, and we've been having some tariff fun as well this past year, so our prices aren't necessarily going to be much better <laughs> for too long at the rate we're going. Yeah, but but there's some interesting stuff happening in that space right now. I mean, you guys have new leadership and, you know, things might change. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how that develops. Zertmaster asks, is a 480 gigabyte SSD big enough for a NAS cache? Well, the... The ZFS that we covered in the video, since it was outside of the scope of the project, especially for a media server, it, I didn't talk about things like cache drives and whatnot. But yeah, anything like a 480 gig, depending on what you're doing with it, if you're writing small Word docs and things like that on an occasional basis, then yeah, 480 gig for your ZIL, your zero uh, ZFS intent log that will you know, work basically like a write cache and will be just fine for you. If you're streaming, like uh, if we were recording this locally with OBS or something, and you're streaming that to your media server and also copying movies or pictures or any large content too on a regular or time-sensitive basis, then you'll want something better than that. Usually they recommend having uh, mirrored SSDs or NVMe drives if you want to get really good. So two one terabyte in a RAID Z1 as your ZIL, that would work really well. And you can actually have read caches as well, where anything that's read off of the ZFS, it will get cached onto these drives in addition to being put out. So if you need to re-access them, then you can have that on SSD storage as well. And that one you'd want larger. So maybe a, in our case, a two terabyte, something like that. And you don't have to actually do a RAID Z1 on that. You can just do a RAID zero basically, where you just have two or three drives. And if any of them die, ZFS can just handle that. It'll just not have that cache anymore. It's not a big deal. Does that answer your question? I hope it does. I think Zertmaster got enough for like a small white paper. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a summary of a small white paper. There's so much yeah. you can do with ZFS. And that's why we picked it over you know, like Unraid and things like that. Like I don't even know if Unraid has the ability to have SSD caching. I think there's a LTT video on this. Um but maybe we should make like a adored TV video on different type of file systems, RAID zero versus uh, ZFS and all that. Well, I have a lot of uh, benchmarks, we'll call them. They're not really comparable to each other, but I've worked with a lot of uh, like uh, RAIDs and things like that, anywhere from hardware RAIDs mm -hmm. on Dell and HP to setting up ZFS with read and write caching, you know, hot spares and that kind of stuff. I've done BTRFS. I've even got a vSAN on VMware that I've played with that uses NVMe 
cache drives with SSD backend drives. And right. that's on a cluster, small cluster of five servers running that similar setup. So yeah, I've got some benchmark performance on that to compare directly against a, a NAS or not a, even a NAS, a SAN, an actual enterprise grade <laughs> SAN. So I could talk about RAID and disk and stuff till I'm blue in the face. <laughs> and I'm not even the storage guy at work. Technically, I am because we don't have a storage guy, but I, I, we still don't have an official sanctioned, like individual storage guy. So, I have to learn a lot. Yeah, you you kind of do, especially if you're in a smaller organization. Like, you kind of have to wear many hats. It's like uh, being in a startup. Yeah, and that's the thing is, uh, I've been in, like the SME area for quite a while i do freelance consulting that kind of stuff as well and so yeah. a lot of what i deal with is companies that are smaller in nature and don't have a dedicated it staff that kind of thing and so right they need somebody that's really wears all the hats i have to do security on one day and then i have to do storage on another and then virtualization on another and then fix a Windows problem just the day after. So it's all over the place. For let me let me give you some context here. So in my previous company, we were a company of six hundred people, and we had two IT guys, and we had revenues of uh, for two eighty million USD mm. every year, right? We had two IT guys running around like headless chickens. Yeah, they would be with that many users and just two people. They probably yeah. were help desk 90% of the time and didn't have any project time. No, they didn't. So there was this one incident that happened where basically our, our raid, we had raid zero on one of our servers and that went buffed because one of the SSDs failed. Right. Yeah. And Basically, that drive was responsible for getting all of our data from Google Analytics to the Excel sheets where we pulled data. So we basically had a free six-hour day where we were just drinking coffee for six hours. Sounded like they didn't convert you into IT people. <laughs> yeah, fun funnily enough. Uh, the IT guys are going crazy, and I'm like, oh, hey, um, are you running raid by any chance? He goes like, yeah. I'm like, you might want to check that. And he goes like, no, 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 it's not that. And then I'm like, you should check that. Uh, <laughs> an hour later, he goes like, yeah, it was raid. Uh, we had a 200-seat call center with... 50 plus admin staff and one IT guy. Yeah, I'm not surprised, man. People do not invest into IT enough, as in, man. Well, yeah, the nice think... thing about the call center is all the desktops are going to be the exact same. And so they just push out an image and just re image a box. If there's a problem, they just re image it. They don't even care. Yeah. Unless, unless you're one of those call centers that's running like at capacity. computers across 
three ge- generations, so they're not all the same model. Oh, you can still re-image them. It, like I've pushed images to uh, sixth-gen Intel systems that were built on third-gen Intel systems, and I've I've even used that same image to drop onto a Ryzen AMD system, and it works. So yeah. it can be done. You just have to fudge around with it a little bit to make sure all right, of the right. network drivers and such come up properly. So uh, I think this is a question for Kirk. Freddy1980 asks, so have you guys bought out Adored TV from Jim? And, and I think... No, uh, we, we did not buy out anything. We are the writers from AdoredTV.com. And we actually joined Jim's team because Jim was doing this solo for so long and he wanted to get a web presence and have a website that we could have general articles on rather than just the analytical video that came out once every week or two. And just kind of to kickstart going a little bit more with his brand. And so we got brought in to do the writing for that website. And he wanted to move to a video format. So videos that accompany articles like I did with the NAS build or this live stream podcast kind of situation. And we actually did have Jim on the live streams or should I say the recorded podcasts back then trying to break into it. And it was just audio with the video visuals in the background. And this was a lot of stuff that came from him as things he wanted to push, but we just didn't have this dedicated time nor the staff to handle it. Right now we are in a position where I've been kind of spearheading the overvolted stuff. Jim, unfortunately with a lot of his health and especially mental health, he has kind of backed away from the tech industry with a lot of the negativity that he was seeing with that. And he kind of actually just lost interest when AMD was coming out with chiplets. He was hundred percent interested. He loved that idea and it, just the newness of that tech. And now it's back to where he's kind of jaded, where the prices are going up for video cards. Uh, the Intel has just kind of not had anything to fight AMD with and is essentially almost dying in a way. But yeah, I mean, we know I, that they'll come that. back with Fervoros and whatnot, right? Yep, yep. I think I get it too. Like, the, it's just not been very competitive recently. And there was a point where I was, I, I think I felt just like Jim did, but less so in that sense because. I wasn't as affected by it, but you kind of get bored of seeing AMD beat, beat, you know, Intel generation after generation for like, what, three generations now, you know, and it's a lot more interesting when it's a head to head battle, like when the 6800, 6900 came out and it almost tied or beat the equivalent nvidia products and they were both roughly the same price yeah you couldn't get them but just even reading the reviews and them competing in the reviews was entertaining in itself 
and yep. that's where the the spice comes in the interest in uh, the drive the magic yeah but when it's a amd just threw another layup and released a new cpu that yeah once again is better than the intel equivalent and intel kept dropping the ball on 10 nanometer and 7 nanometer there was very little interesting going on that Jim could come out and make this huge, wonderful analytical video about. And he wanted to spread out into other things such as um, the more controversial, you know, the, the troll bait stuff, right? The people spend a lot of time just sitting there either riffing on COVID or any of these other things and arguing with people online either because they're being a troll or they sincerely believe their position, whatever. And Jim wanted to kind of get in on that because there's always some conspiracy theory or some misinformation to combat. And so he's exactly. doing that on his free thinker channel and he has dedicated a hundred percent of his time to doing that to where we don't, we don't even really get to talk to him too much on the back end. We still pass some things past no. him, but for the most part, he's handed complete control over to Donnie, who is the editor-in-chief for AdoreTV.com right now, and us as writers. He's given us free reign to do whatever we feel would benefit the channel and be informative for you guys as our audience. Yeah, so keep supporting us and... You know, let us know what you guys are interested in, and we'll keep dishing out content accordingly. You know, and yes, does the uh, the podcast? Yeah, I'd almost call it a show. Really, it, we try to have discussion. You know, we don't sit there and just be a news anchor and tell you the news. We don't tell you the things that we think and, and try to pass them off as authoritative information or anything like that. Of the only view out there. We try to have a discussion to talk about what the tech is and means and what we are excited about with it and how you guys might be excited about it as well or maybe give you a different perspective on it. And we don't always have a consensus amongst us either. That's why we got three people today instead of two because yep. Alex and Donnie weren't able to make it today. So I brought in daniel to be our third man to kind of give us another perspective and he's done very well at being able to point out a lot of the gaming stuff he has some yep. pretty good strong gaming mentality there and knows way more about it than me so it helps if you guys have informative deep knowledge to really come from as well yeah plus uh, we plan to have more people like we did last week, so we had uh, Wolf Law of Dead. Uh, what's that dude's name again? Um, Tom. Tom from Wolf Law is Dead, and I really, we we really want to do more of that. Like we want to have more people on here as guest speakers because it kind of spices things up. You don't have to look at our ugly mugs every other week. You get to see like different people and it really adds a bit more value you know well and speaking of ugly mugs as well it took our little christmas break for the podcast to it, get us to move into re, you know, relaunching rebooting whatever coming back with 
using our actual faces, you know, the talking head thing. Yeah. We were doing this just with our voice. I hope you guys enjoy the video portion a little bit more now that you can see me trying to read chat and things like that. Hopefully it's given you a little bit more connection. We're just trying new things, growing and learning as we go. So, Yep. And I think that's a, a good note to like uh, and, uh, end the overvolted on this. Uh, you guys want to keep going? <laughs> no, I think we are good for today. So I definitely appreciate you two for joining and every one of our viewers, of course, for coming and participating in chat. We're trying to do this every Saturday at the same time, so be sure to check back. Um, just depends on whether we can get everyone together for the weekend. Hopefully, we don't have any days where we end up having to skip, but we should be good and fairly regular at this. So be sure to check out our website, adoretv.com, I have here in the background. Uh, check out our Patreon as well there's plenty of ways you can support us in you know, with the patreon or even the you can send us bitcoin right now that's all the rage right <laughs> has has anyone actually sent us bitcoin or ethereum uh no i don't think so but i haven't changed the wallets to something that i can see either so yeah, they're still going right. directly to jim i think but he'll let right. us know if there's anything in there and yes, we try to get some knowledgeable people as guests as someone that has something to contribute to the conversation. And since we wanted to talk about BlizzCon, that's why we brought in Dan for our gamer. He's also a developer in IRL, not for games, but for software. So if we have any other pieces that involve some deep seated like programming, I'll bring him back. So you'll probably see some more of him, but Thank you guys for joining us. We will see you next Saturday and hopefully we'll have some really interesting stuff come to pass over the next week that we can talk about some yep. more. Yep. And be sure to leave us some comments. If you have any questions, you can put those in the comments below or you can ask them on Discord. I'll take either option at this point. So, And we'll see you in the next one. Take care. Yep.